The Selfish Path to Romance. Download Chapter 1 for free at drkenner.com and at amazon.com. How is he? Well, his lungs are filled with fluid. His whole body is just shutting down. Even if we could get him to a hospital, there's nothing they can do for him there that we can't do here. Uh, maybe a decade or so ago, I got a phone call that my grandfather was dying and I could fly down to Cat- to Florida to say my final goodbyes to him with my uncle. And I chose that option. And before I left, I thought, what do I say to him? What do you say to someone who was dying? I had never gone through this before. He was the first significant death that I was going through of a close family member. And so I read a book, uh, Grief, Death, and Dying by... Terry Rando in Anticipatory Grief by uh, Dr. Terry Rando. And then I, what I realized was that the main focus needed to be on my grandfather as an individual, not to get all focused on, oh my God, he's dying, but to treat him like grandpa. And with me to discuss this and other issues is Dr. Ed Martin, who is the medical director for Home and Hospice Care of Rhode Island. Welcome to the show, Dr. Martin. Thank you. Dr. Martin, with my grandfather, the way that I was able, I I felt much more comforted going down to visit him, knowing that the best gift I could give him was not to sit bawling at his bedside, crying, or not to, you know, say my final rights, or, you know, do something strange, but to really focus on what he needed at that moment. Would you like a glass of water, or would you like uh, some soda? I focused a lot on choices. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, you work with, you said, thousands of people who've been through hospice. What do you know, what does hospice focus on in terms of the patient? Well, we basically focus on, you know, keeping the, the patient at the center of our of our efforts. And the fact that the first thing you did, the fact that you went, is probably the, for some people the most difficult step. Some people, when they hear that a friend or loved one is terminally ill, that's it. They stay away. And I think that's the absolute We've worst seen that with my mother in law. Some of her closest friends are not visiting her. She had a stroke. Yeah. And people will shun, they just, because they, they feel uncomfortable. They say, well, what should I say? What will I do? And so they, they basically stay away. And that is, as you, you know, obviously the absolute worst thing you can do. Um, so if anything, just even the fact of, of being there, being present. Um, and you're right, once you're there, just if you can focus on the individual, what they'd like to do. Um, and, you know, whether it's, you know, providing, a, you know, care, getting them a, you know, a cold drink, uh, sitting with them while they reminisce or tell a story, um, but basically really focusing focusing on them. But just, I think oftentimes we don't realize just how how important it is even just to, to show up um, as a, as a you know, important person in that person's life, that that can be so important. And to, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, I, and I understand that, you know, it, it's difficult at times to, to feel, to be able to do that, well, what will I say, what will I do? But just, just to be able to do that, to be able to, you know, to, you know, go and sit with somebody who's uh, a family member, a friend who's terminally ill or facing, you know, facing bad news, that, that can just be so important, that alone. And I remember asking myself the question before I visited my grandfather, what do I enjoy about him? 
And that helped me focus on, oh, I remember the walks we took at our beach house together. I remember he wore a bathing cap, which embarrassed me as a little kid, so I didn't quite tell him that. <laughs> um, but he would take early morning swims, like five or six in the morning. He'd be out there swimming in the ocean. And he was colorful. He was a fun person. And it was fun to have that in focus when I went down there, rather than the fact that he was dying. And I asked him, my uncle and I asked him, is there anything we can do for you or get for you? And he said, Sure, I'd love to see a tango. <laughs> so I looked at my uncle, and he looked at me, and we're there. This was two days before he died. And my uncle asked me to dance a tango in, in his hospital room, and we did that. We didn't have any music. And, you know, he, that's what he wanted. And there was no way I could have ever predicted that he would have wanted a tango at that moment. So it's in, in part... You don't need to have a, a game plan going out there knowing what to say. In part, you're a, a good listener and asking the person what they want, too. Absolutely. Um, and just being you know, sensitive to, you know, to you know, what their needs are at that point. Um, you know, some people find it helpful. Some people will bring you know, photo albums. Some people will bring you know, things that will help them to sort of reminisce, um, to sort of you know, conversation pieces. But really, you're right. I think ultimately we take our direction from the patient, whatever it is they feel up to or uh, at that particular point. Right, and having a backup plan like a photo album is really nice, too. You know, if they don't say anything, you can you can take the initiative too. Um, what with hospice? How does hospice? How do the caretakers at hospice help family members connect like this and avoid the opposite? Hey, I got to interrupt this because we've got to pay some bills. Thirty seconds. That's it. A very quick ad, and then Alan will be back. Romance. Oh, I wish guys knew more about what we want from a relationship. Boy, I wish I knew more about what I want. Where's that ad I saw? Ah, uh, here it is. The Selfish Path to Romance. A serious romance guidebook. Download Chapter 1 for free at SelfishRomance.com and buy it at Amazon.com. Hmm, The Selfish Path to Romance. That is interesting. How do the caretakers at hospice help family members connect like this and avoid the opposite? Well, I think one of the things is just supporting family members and being there. Um, you know, just le you know, letting understanding that yes, we you know realize this is difficult, but um, but just you know being there, just your presence is helpful. Um, certainly, in our you know our inpatient unit, we have very different rules and regulations than say the hospital would. You know, if the family wants to bring in the pet to visit the dog or the cat, they're welcome to visit. Oh, that's great! I didn't know that. You know, we don't have visiting hours, and in the inpatient unit, we encourage family to be there 24/7, much as they would be at home. Again, to provide as as much a home-like setting, and then in the home environment as well, to you know, while you know, not stressing the person with with too many visitors, um, to try and you know, still provide them with enough support uh, to uh, to get what you know is through is obviously a very difficult time. So hospice helps a lot with coordinating and helping the communication amongst family members and the patient. Right, right. And what happens when you get, a, a say, a patient that, not a patient, but a family member that comes in and is making it much worse for the patient? They're crying, they're bawling their eyes out, or it's an angry uh, ex that comes back on the scene. How do you deal with those types of situations? Well, I think occasionally we'll have to, you know, sit down and say, look, you know, this is, you know, we're, we need to do what's best for the patient at this point. Um, and because occasionally it's it's 
perhaps family members that aren't perhaps being as, as thoughtful as they might be about the situation the patient's in, or doing things that they think may be helping, but uh, but aren't, you know, if a family member's concerned, oh, well, he's not eating enough today, so, you know, we go in and the, a family member's really pushing food and forcing food into someone's mouth. Um, you know, against, well, I want them to eat. So, well, maybe, you know, you could do something else. Maybe you could, you know, you know, give them a back rub or give them something that would be, they would actually appreciate at this point and be able to benefit from. So to basically try and give them ways of, of demonstrating their caring that would be, that in fact would be appreciated and, and helpful to the patient at that point. So it basically, you're an advocate for the patient. You're monitoring Absolutely. that. And if somebody's trying to force feed them or if somebody's trying to, a family member's trying to get them to no longer have uh, fatty foods, even though they've, they've only got a week left to live, you would try to help reframe it so that that family member could see it right. from We're the patient's perspective. Exactly. We're basically patient advocates and trying to help the family to to basically maximize and improve the patient's quality of life for whatever time it is they have remaining. You know, I'm thinking, I'm usually, I'm assuming just because of my own personal experience that it's a family member that calls hospice. But can the patient call hospice themselves? Oh, absolutely. I mean, at times we'll get a call from a patient. You know, we'll have a patient who's, you know, living at home alone in the community and we'll call hospice on their own. Um, you know, many of our calls come from physician offices we'll refer a patient. But when we get out to the house, you know, it's a patient who's, you know, who may have family, but the family are, in, you know, scattered around the country. Um, now, occasionally, as their illness progresses, they may, you know, one of the family members may be able to come into town to, to help care for them. Um, but that's not always the case. Occasionally, they'll rely on, you know, friends and So if somebody's to, listening right now and they want to contact hospice, how would they go about doing that, Dr. Martin? Again, if they call, they call the HC, you know, Home and Hospice Care Rhode Island, um, you know, and pretty much we're always available. Um, you know, to the full array of staff are, of course, available Monday through Friday, 3 to 4.30. But certainly if, if something urgent came up on the weekend um, and something needed to be addressed, or, you know, the You're available then, too. And if you're around the country, you can just look up in the phone book right, under hospice be, care and yeah, you can get that information. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. For more Dr. Kenner podcast, go to drkenner.com and please listen to this ad. Here's an excerpt from The Selfish Path to Romance by Dr. Ellen Kenner. The main virtue that makes you lovable is rationality. Attempting to have a romantic relationship with an irrational person is a living nightmare. You cannot reason with an irrational person. Facts and logical arguments have no effect on this person. You cannot understand them because they are full of unresolved contradictions. They are unpredictable because they often act on whim. You cannot feel fully understood because they don't consistently use reason to understand you. All this is anathema to romance. Furthermore, irrationality will undermine all the other virtues because they are all aspects of rationality. Irrationality at the deepest level amounts to the rejection of facts and logic, which means the rejection of reality. You can download Chapter 1 for free at drkenner.com and you can buy the book at amazon.com.